Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us this morning. Uh, I love September. Love September. Weather's changing, getting nice and cool outside. My air conditioning's working again. Life is good. Life is good. Uh, it was expensive, but I got it done. Uh, you say, what's that about? Get a hold of last week's sermon and you'll hear all about the shame. Okay, so we've been in a sermon series I'm concluding today called Monday Morning Faith. And I know for some of us here, we uh, when we started this series, you may have thought we were talking about just the workplace because it says, the subtitle says, Living Out My Faith in the Workplace. I wish I'd have said Living Out My Faith in My Workspace because work is is relative, not or not limited or restricted to just what I do for a paycheck. It's everywhere I go. I work at school, whether I'm taking a class, uh, living in a dorm, um, you know, working on a campus, uh, uh, working among people, working in my neighborhood, in my home, and as well in the workplace. And so we've been learning a lot about bringing our faith there. I don't know what it is, but some of us, we tend to separate, people tend to separate our work environment from everything else we do. Almost like there's a sacred part of my life and then there is some secular part of my life where I work and uh, it's almost like a, a private place, my private place. I was telling the first service this, some of us may even look at work as our vacation from home. You ever thought of it that way? You know, I, I know some people have, have had children and, uh, and someone says, you know, this maternity thing, this maternity, if you think it's going to work? I said, well, for some... But for some couples, it won't work. They won't want to take three months off. They won't want to take three weeks off. Some of them won't want to take three minutes off. They want to get back to work as soon as they can because of that screaming child. So you never know. You never know. But uh, but the idea, is, uh, I guess I think of, is, is that God did not separate our sacred work and uh, He didn't make our lives sacred and secular. In fact, when I became a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're saying that everything is spiritual now. That everything I do, in fact, the Bible tells us, whatever you do, you know, do it all. Eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And so, so the workplace has not been divided up uh, by the Lord. Man has done that. We've learned in this series that God made you and I to work. You know, I know sometimes we go, I, hi ho, hi ho. That's, and off to work I go. It's because I owe, I owe. No, it's not. It's, you know, I, I mean, I know some of us go, man, we got, I gotta go to work tomorrow and start the, the grind again. And the old nose to the grindstone, you know, ball and chain, all that stuff. And, and as if God made us work because, to punish us for sin that has been on this earth. You know, Adam and Eve sinned, therefore I have to work. Well, you look at the scriptures closely, you find that Adam was working before sin came into the world. In fact, because of sin, work is more difficult. If you want to, in fact, that's probably true when you think about it across the board. Doesn't sin make work more difficult anyway? Try doing something if you're a lazy person. Try doing something if, if, if try to work in the workplace if you are a person of integrity and you lie and you're dishonest. It'll make your life worse, not better. It's just that's the way it works. And so God made you and I to work. It was the very first thing He, he had God God had man do, and that is to work, to take care of the garden. So it's not punishment. We've also learned in this series about integrity, how important it is to have character. That character sometimes is more important than competence because character is what you are when no one else is looking, when the boss isn't around. You know anybody like that? 
You know, they they act one way until the boss walks in the room. Then all of a sudden, they're a totally different person. Uh, what what's happened there? Integrity, integrity. And we find it a lot of a lot of employers are hiring people because of their character, not necessarily their competence. Now, competence is important, but so is character. We've learned that. We've also learned about chemistry. You know, if, if you can't get along with other people, you're not going to last very long in the workplace. You're not going to last very long in life, in a marriage, in a lot of things, because chemistry, that ability to get along with people, is so important. The Bible tells us to live in harmony with one another. We've also learned in this series about how uh, the, the workplace is a mission field. You know, I don't think it's uh, coincidental when we've had funerals. I've, I've done a lot of funerals. And one of the things I notice is there's a lot more, lot more friends there than family. And I noticed that the last funeral we had here at Greater Alton in particular for Jackie Tarantino, how many people showed up that were from Sears, Kmart, you know, different places she worked, and they remembered her. In fact, several of the people that we had share about Jackie were people who worked with her. I think it's, it's, it's something to think about is that some of our closest friends, some people that we're closer to than family are the people we work with. We spend eight hours next to them. Every day we get to know them really well. I was at a body shop one time and Danny was telling me about this particular fella. I just thought he was kind of a smart aleck. And he says, you, do, you know his wife has cancer? No, I didn't know that. And he goes, oh, this guy over here, did you know he's, uh, uh, he's going through a real tough time with an addiction? No, I didn't know that. Well, see, my brother's there every day, sometimes three times a day. He gets to know these people. You know, and, so, and you get to know people you work with. And it's a great mission field. To, to help people find Christ. And so we've learned that here in, in, in this series. And I sure hope, I hope that all of us here are going to work with a different purpose, a little clearer objective than just to, for the paycheck. That it's not just about the, the money, but it's about meaning and ministry and what, can God, what God wants me to do in the workplace. Now today I want to finish covering what we started last week. I know last week I said something about we got eight points and everybody moaned like I was going to pull a tooth or something. Well, I only went through four of them. Only went through four points. So, And we went through those four. I had people stop me at the door. Tim, that was such a simple lesson. There's two things I liked about it. It was simple and it wasn't very long. And I go, well, thank you. And thank you. You know, but I just think it was nice to hear people talk about I haven't been setting goals. I haven't been thinking about the workplace, and I've not been very wise in the workplace, and so I, I want to do that, and I'm making those commitments, and if you've not listened to that lesson, you can listen to this lesson, that first one, online uh, at greateraltonchurch.org, I believe, or .com, or org, one of them. Org, thank you. So we've learned these things so far. Look at the Bible says. Here's an interesting uh, passage. Solomon, the greatest businessman in the world, but we've been looking at what he has to say in Proverbs primarily. Last week we looked at a passage from the New Living Translation. Here's the same passage in Ecclesiastes 10. It's talking about working smart. Look what it says here. Remember, the duller the axe, the harder the work. Use your head. The more brains, the less muscle. And I love the way it says that. I think the New Living says that's the value of God's wisdom. You know, sharpen the axe. I think I found one one translation. When the axe is dull. It really makes it hard to cut the tree down. So sharpen the tool, you idiot. And I'm like, wow. You know, in other words, don't be foolish. Work smart. Smart work and hard work are two, two important things to be whatever we do. 
You put, you know, you put yourself, your name is on what you do. That's one of the things we talk about in my autoglass business. You know, guys, they're going to remember me. Yeah, they're going to remember the business, my business name. But I want you to know I'm going to remember you because your, your name, your reputation, your character is going into that, what you're doing. And that works not only at the workplace, but any place. You are saying, this is what, this is what I, how much I value what I'm doing. It's my best. It deserves my best because it bears His name. And so it's working smart. I can work hard, and I know a lot of hardworking people. I'm looking at a lot of hardworking people. I know you work hard. Extremely hard. But God says, look, there's something else I want you to do besides work hard. I want you to work smart. And Maybe it, may, it won't be so difficult. Maybe it'll be a little easier for you. But I want you to work smart. I want people to see the, my wisdom in your work values and what you do in your life. And when people see that, they turn to God. Now, you're going to make a lot of decisions. I said this last week. You and I are going to make a lot of decisions when it comes to the workplace. Where to work, what we're going to do, what's our career going to be, where we're going to live, how long we're going to work there, should I change jobs, should I go back to school. But there's other decisions that, that might not pertain to the labor as much as life itself. Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? How am I going to spend my money? How am I going to, what do I do when I make this purchase? What do I do when someone wrongs me? How will I respond when something bad happens to me? What will I do when I face a problem? You see, what we're talking about working smarter is not just what you're doing for a living, but it's also what you do as you're living. So all of these principles we've been looking at have really been about life in general. We're just using the workplace as a, as a stepping off, if you would, a stepping off, stepping off point. So what are the eight steps to working smarter? Well, let's look at the four from last week very briefly. Number one, I check my Bible. Just to re- as a review, if before I get somebody else's perspective, before I get somebody else's ideas, I want to know what God's idea is. I want to know what God's perspective is. I'm looking for a verse over hearing a voice. That's what we talked about last week. I'm not looking for something for God to write in the sky because I realize God has already written it in Scripture. So I'm looking at my Bible. Let me ask you, do you have a company handbook where you work? I had some people say no. I think our company handbook is three sheets. Three sheets of paper. You know, I remember working at Champion Laboratories as a tool and die maker, and it was a quarter of an inch booklet. Every employee got the company handbook. Told you all about procedure, vacation, things of that nature. You say, I don't have a company handbook. Yes, you do. You have a company handbook. It's called the Bible. This is your company handbook. And you know, it's very important to really know what it's talking about. It tells you how to, how to do, how to handle this, how to handle that. It's a great book for that. And it's, and, um, it will bless your life. The second thing we learn in working smart is I get the facts. I do my homework. I gather information. I don't just jump in willy nilly. I look both ways before I cross the street or I'll end up being a sale cat. You say, what's a sale cat? Listen to last week's sermon, and there's a whole five, ten minute thing on sale cats. Number three, I seek good advice. And I emphasize good advice. And you can get advice, any kind of advice from anybody. You really can. Michelle Obama this week was, was speaking at a Clinton rally. They said it was like a rock star, uh, having a rock star there. And she said this, she said this this week. And I think she's right. You can ask four people. My husband can ask four people 
what to do, and I'll get, and he'll get four different answers. Isn't that true? You can ask for advice. You're going to get four different answers. You ask four people, you're probably going to get four different answers. But the buck stops with you, doesn't it? You must decide. So I listen. I consider. I gather good advice. The fool, the Bible says, isn't interested in getting advice. You know anybody like that? They don't ask anybody. What do you think? The, one of the greatest questions you can ask somebody is, how do I do that? What would you do? Help me out here. I, I've, I listened to a young man this week say something that's music to a boss's ear. We're sitting there talking about how to put in glass, and I hear this young man say this, really? I've never done that. Now, I, I hear statements like, I'm really good at this, I'm really good at that. But what caught my eye was, what's that again? Explain to me how you did that. Teach me. That's music to a boss's ear. Because we need to be learners. Wise people are always learning. They're gathering information. They're gathering facts. They want to learn. They don't want to learn by themselves. They want to learn from others. They don't want to learn from all their mistakes. They think your mistakes are pretty handy too. So they'll ask you, so how'd you mess that up? That's good, good advice. Good advice. Some of the best people to give good advice on marriage are people who are divorced. I'm convinced of it. They'll tell you what not to do. Makes sense. Number four, I set a goal. I check my Bible, get the facts, seek good advice, and I set a goal. Why? Because when I set a deadline, now I've got legs on what I'm about to do. I went from just talking about it and meandering about it and thinking about it and all over my head to actually taking an action step. I've set a deadline. I've set a goal. And this helps me formulate the steps in between. My grandchildren are not in here. Right? Well, he ain't going to remember. Meyer's not going to remember. Meyer, hold up your right hand. Repeat after me. I will not tell anybody. Okay. I'm making a Daniel Tiger trolley for my two grandgirls. It's five foot long, and it's going to have a place where they can have six of their friends can sit in it with them. It's going to have a little bell. Ding, 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 ding. It's going to be cool. You remember Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Well, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is the big thing now. And I've been working on this thing. And, and the thing that... Uh, uh, I've realized this. I, ha I want to get it done by the chowder, man. I've got to get it done by chowder. So there's my deadline. I didn't send out a card and say set the date, you know, but I mean, that's kind of like that. I'm saying to you all, you know, I've got to get this done. I've got to have it done and ready to go and test it and make sure it's safe by chowder time. So now I've got all these steps. I've got to test it. Before that, I've got to assemble it. Or no, before that, I've got to paint it. Before that, I've got to assemble it. Before that, I've got to. Sand it before that. I got to cut it out. You see, I got to. I always go backwards. If this is where I'm going to be, then I go back to where I am and go. There's my steps. And I'm going to have that thing done by chowder time. And my grandkids love it. They're going to hug me tight. So you set a goal. You don't. Quit, you quit talking about. It, say, I'm going to do this. You set a goal. Now let's look at the next four steps. This is five, six, seven, and eight. Not a typo in your notes. Here we go. Number one. Or number five. I count the cost. 
What else can I do besides check my Bible, get the facts, seek good advice, set a goal, I count the cost. This is a little bit different than checking all the facts. But it, it relates to it. In other words, I look before I leap. I take the time. I take the time. Don't take my time. I take the time to make the right decision. I primarily ask myself this question when I'm about to make a decision and I want to work smart here, whatever I do. Is, is it worth it? That's the question I ask. Is it worth it? Look at the Bible says in Proverbs 19. Don't rush into something or you might do it wrong. Don't get in a hurry or you'll make a mistake is what one way it's translated. What's he saying? Don't get in a hurry. Don't jump the gun. Listen, don't be pressured into a decision you haven't thought through. Why? You're going to make a mistake when you do that. You're more likely to make a mistake when you rush into things. See, every, listen, every checkout line has them. You know what I'm talking about? Those impulsive things. Every checkout line. Let's see, I'm at Walmart. And look, there's the magazines. What's Brad Pitt doing now? You know, I read, oh, oh look, there's a, there's a pack of gum. There's a soda and an icebox. Or, I'm sorry, refrigerator for you young people. You know, there, there's, there's candy. Oh, look, there's some breath mints. <laughs> I need them. Well, I got a charging cord for my phone. What's it doing up here? That's a great idea. You know, all these neat things. And, and, and you ever wonder why they're there? Because, because retail companies know that you're impulsive and you're liable to buy something at the last minute. See, they're trying to keep you in that store just a little bit longer. That's why when you go to Lowe's, and I'm nothing against Lowe's, I have a Lowe's card. Whether you go to Lowe's or Walmart or Target or Schnucks or wherever, do you notice they've got all of those Checkout lines, but only two are open. Why? And someone will say, oh look, they'll look around, and they'll walk over, and you see that checkout lady's moving. She's new. She's got a tray in her hand. Which one's she going to? And you see people starting to lean wherever she's going. Because there's going to be a mad rush. No, waiting at line nine. <clears throat> waiting at line nine. And then four shuts down. Why are you shutting down four? Because we don't want to have too many of these lines. You'll go, too, throw, go, go through too fast and we, we've got a chance to make another 50 cents, another $3. By the way, it's a major chunk of the profits of the retail industry. Did you know that? that there's articles and strategies of where to place the product. Why are there tape measures in the middle of the ice cream section? I don't get that. I go to Lowe's sometimes and I'll go, why is the tape measures doing over here in plumbing? They should be over in tools. Now, that's kind of handy for me because if I want to measure something, I just grab one off the rack and measure. There we go, and I put it back. I love tape measures, by the way. Love them. Love them. My brother has a weakness for flashlights. I have a weakness for tape measures. That's the truth. And so, so why do they, they place all this? Because they know you might see that and buy it on impulse. You might just grab it to go. Well, you know, Tim, what about that 20 items or less? I don't know. Yeah, how many, how many lanes do they have of that? And how many people are in that lane? Always a bunch of people. And some of them have more than 20 items. Have you noticed that? Where do they get off doing that? 
No, they try to find a way to keep you in line a little bit longer. The average American will spend $110,000 in their lifetime just on impulse buying alone. That's a lot of moolah. Uh, the Today Show this week put out that impulse purchases are breaking the budgets of middle-class America. Let me show you some stats here. Look at this here. found this one. 88% of all impulse purchases are made because an item is on sale. Susie Orman, I'll never forget what she said one time. She said, uh, you know, you, you buy something on sale. Well, I saved 20%. And I, I only paid $100 for this sweater. I saved 20%. No, you spent $100. Look at this next one here. Shoppers make an average of three unplanned purchases during 40% of all store visits. I, I, I think that's low. I can beat that. How many times have you went into Walmart to pick up one item and you come out with four or five? How'd that happen? I went in. I just went in. Look, I just went in to get oil and a filter for my car. And as I'm walking through the aisle, they're just, they're just, it's like I've got a magnet and it's all these products are, and they ended up in my shopping cart. How did it happen? It happens because I'm not planning my purchases. I'm just going in to pick up something on my way home. Look at this next one. All about impulse. Impulse buying goes down by 13% during a planned shopping trip. Look at this last one here. When people shop with the purpose of buying immediate needs or forgotten items, the rate of compulsive buying falls by 53%. What are the experts trying to say to us here? They're saying the best way to curb impulsive behavior is to have a plan. Count the cost is how you do that. Look what it says about this woman, of this noble woman of Proverbs 31. She evaluates, circle that, she evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her, with her earnings. What's she saying? What's that saying? She evaluates. She's counting the cost. Before I buy a car, I count the cost. Before I buy a home, before I change jobs, before I have children, I should count the cost. Before I get into a relationship, before I get into a dating relationship or in a relationship in marriage, I really need to count the cost. Yesterday, I had two girls. I asked them, I said, would you please just pledge to me? He's at the luau, two young girls. And I said, don't marry some schmuck. Can you, can you do that? Come on, promise me. Come on, make me feel good. Promise me. Give some, an old man some comfort here. Promise me you won't marry some goober that walks up and goes, I love you a lot. But instead it will be somebody that says, I love God a lot. And you know that's true. Because believe me, it makes a big difference in the long run. Oh, you're all, you know, juiced up, excited when you're first married. But then you, you know, the honeymoon starts to get, things start to change. And what holds you together is not sexual fulfillment and romance. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Because after a while, you're with somebody long enough, you want to kill them. And God will take that strain away, okay? He'll take that away. 
Count the cost. Remember that. Count the cost. Even Jesus said this, if you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. And, and, and he compares it to construction, to labor, to the workplace. After he says you need to love me more than anyone and anything, even yourself, he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? I used to pressure people to become Christians. I've quit that now. I think a person, listen, I think it's the big, one of the biggest decisions. Building a home, building a building is a major decision in life. You'd agree with that. Following Christ is bigger. And it, it, what, so what are you trying to say to, I'm saying that I wouldn't take your time. I, I took two years to count the cost. Two years. And she studied with me and I'm, for two years, I would just, no. Can't do it. Because my fear of what my family would think was greater than my desire to follow Christ. And I thought, if I do this and I don't do this right, it, I'm going to be upside down. And finally the day came when I went, my love for God, like Luke 14, I love my God more than my mother, my father, and my brothers. And then I made that choice. And I'm not recommending two years. Maybe you're in a study right now. People are studying the Bible with you. And you're saying, what are we doing here? We're looking at your relationship with God. And you're so open to it. That's fantastic. And you're looking at it. But don't let anybody pressure you into doing something. I'm not saying be stubborn. No, Tim said not to pressure me, so don't you be pressuring me. I just said, let's look at this Scripture. Well, how did I pressure you? I don't know. I'm scared. No, I... I'm not saying take your time because you may die or Jesus may come back. But take the time. Take the time to weigh. To weigh in. Count the cost. He says, he says otherwise you might com complete only the foundation before running out of money. There's something else I learned. When you become a Christian, laying the foundation is going to be expensive. You're going to pay hard to front on the front end. Be prepared for that. It'll matter on the other end. He says if he lays the foundation and he doesn't have enough money, he runs out, everyone will laugh at him. It'll, it'll, it isn't that you're going to be ridiculed as much as you fail. It's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. They, they would say there's a, person who, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So we're, we're to calculate Calculate this decision. Calculate the cost. Jesus says, look at that. Count the cost. Whenever I'm going to do something, I'm going to make a major decision, even some minor ones, I need to go, how much is this going to cost me in time? How much will this cost me in money? How much will this cost me in energy? How much will my, it cost my family? Right now, my youngest son, Matthew, is, is thinking about changing and adjusting his job. He's not changing his career, just adjusting his job. And Brian, we talked about this very thing. What's it going to cost your family? What's it going to cost you in time? What's it going to cost you in energy? What's it going to cost you in the long term? And then the biggest question was, what's it going to cost you spiritually? Because if everything I do is to bring glory to God, I want to make sure what I'm doing can. So we need to count the cost. But ask yourself, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost my family? What's it going to cost me spiritually? I think Bill talked about it a minute ago about Judas. 
I heard somebody say this one time, Judas betrayed Jesus over 30 pieces of silver. Today, he said, I've seen people betray Jesus over the minimum wage. And this is interesting, guys. You know, God, God has something good and Satan kind of warps it. Right? Work is good. What Satan wants to do is warp it into making it greed and materialistic. He wants you to become greedy and caught up in materials. And he said, no, work is good. It provides for your family. But what Satan does, he tries to twist it. He tries to distort it in some way. And sometimes a person will, will push God off the center of his life to flip burgers. To flip burgers. And so, I'm not saying if you're flipping burgers, you're sinning. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's why, are we, why do we come to these conclusions? We need to really think about them. See, sometimes the smartest thing you can do is just take a breath before you decide something. Just take a breath and take some time and think about it. Where's this going? Number six, I plan for problems. I plan for problems. Anybody got problems? You know, everybody's gone. Do you have a backup plan? Houston, we have a problem. I said, told the first service, I think some people think Tom Hanks flew in Apollo 13. And it was Jimmy Lovell that said those words. Houston, we have a problem. What it is it? Oh my goodness. Bunches of oxygen tanks have exploded. We're, we got all kinds of problems. Now, did they, did they foresee that problem? No. But they met that problem as it came. And so, so you have to plan for problems. You can't prepare some for some problems, but you need to have a backup plan. Is there a plan B? Uh, let me give you what I'm talking about. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say if you have trouble. He says you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, problems are a normal part of life. I listened to a fella uh, yesterday morning, no, this morning, on a Christian radio station, say, if you'll follow Jesus, He'll get rid of your problems. I'm like, boy, you're going to have to apologize to Joseph, to Moses, John the Baptist, Paul, even the Lord. Because when you follow Christ, He doesn't take away, He doesn't say, okay, we're going to eliminate your problems. No, you're going to have them. You're going to have much like anybody else. Now why? Why do I have to have problems? Well, they're evidence you're alive. I had a guy one time driving by a cemetery and says, you see those people out there in the cemetery? I go, yeah, they don't have any problems. Well, I'm kind of glad I got some then. Because problems are evidence of life. You cannot spell life without spelling that word if. It's just, if it happens. It could happen. Murphy's Law says what? If it's going to go wrong, it will. Why is it that peanut butter jelly sandwich falls on the jelly side down? Why does it do that? Seem like every time. Why is it when I'm working on a car and a bolt falls from my hands and hits my toe, it rolls right in the middle of the car underneath the car? Why does it do that? We just notice those things. It doesn't always do that. But it's evidence that I'm alive. And no matter, listen, no matter what you and I do, we can't avoid these, all these problems. Problems will find you and me. They will find us. Oh, if, I, if, I, if I'm confident enough and foolish enough at the same time to say, you know, I don't have any problems. God's going to go, oh, you don't? 
well, we're going to fix that. Because I, not only are you have problems because you're a human being that tends to mess stuff up. That's what we do. We're good at that. But God says, you've got to have problems, Tim, because that's how I help you grow. That's how I help you develop. So what do I do? I get myself ready for that. I prepare myself mentally for it. It's coming. Not a question of if, but of when. I prepare myself, and I say this to me the loudest over all of you. I prepare myself emotionally for problems. Are you one of those, are you like me? You can have a great day and something on Facebook, a phone call, a text, put you in a tailspin. What happened? I was having such a good time today. And something, some problem blindsides me. And now I'm in this emotional tailspin. I do that. I've learned that when I've prepared myself emotionally, the problems have a better purpose than just to blindside me and beat me up. I have to get myself ready spiritually. Get myself ready spiritually. I think it was at Peter. Um, in 1 Peter 4, you can write this down. I think verse 12, you can look at it later. It says there, don't be surprised at the painful trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. You're being like Christ. And if you're going to be like Christ, you're going to inherit some of His trouble. You say, that sounds pessimistic. That is not being pessimistic. That is planning and preparing for it. That's all you're doing. Lynn Jones said something this week. And I, if you ever get, if you can, um, I don't know... You can go on Marriage Matters, I guess, and type that Google in and Jerry Lynn Jones. They have a series of audio lessons there. You might be able to get a copy from Von Hill. Um, I went the first night, Sunday. I went, I went every night except Wednesday. I wasn't feeling well. And so uh, we're, we're sitting there and they're talking about the very first lesson was on death and divorce. Lynn Jones had experienced a divorce after 20-some years of marriage and it devastated her. Jerry, on the other hand, he, he, he experienced the death of his wife, Claudette, the cancer, and his brother, who he was as close as Danny and I are. Very close. I could, I could relate to it. But as, he was, as they were talking about what's happening, one of the things Lynn Jones said was this. She said, you know, after I had, I had to realize something. After 23 years, 23 or some odd years of marriage, with my husband, and now we're divorced, I had to ask myself, who am I now? Because I had defined me through that relationship for so long, I didn't know who I was without that person in my life. I couldn't help but think about, not about divorcing my wife or, or the, the danger of that or, the, or the, the fear in that or the terror of that, or Jerry talking about his brother dying and his, and his wife Claudette dying very close together, and the devastation that did for him, and he talked about that. I, I wasn't thinking about my brother dying or Denise dying. I was thinking about my friendships that have died over the years. And how I, how I have been guilty of letting some of my friendships define who I am. It wasn't their fault. It was mine. It's my fault. 
These are the things I'm hearing the very first session. I would encourage you to find that session and listen to it. And as I listened to Jerry and Lynn talk a couple of nights later, she said this. And I wrote it down as fast as I could. I couldn't read it. That's how nervous and shaky I was. It was a moment for me. And she said these words, you might as well make peace with this. You cannot control anything or anyone but only your response. I know that! I know that! I had forgotten that. And it was a life-changing moment for me again. And I remember, I, you ought to see it. It looks like chicken scratches. I go, now what did I, what was that again? I can't remember. What, what, what did you, did you write it down? I, I didn't quite get it. It was, it was so, I was so excited over that, that thought. Because it's telling me that I'm gonna have problems and sometimes my friends and my spouse and, and you know, my brother are not going to be able to help me. That only God has that place that defines me. He should be the only one that defines who I am. And when I say, who am I now? I can say, I am now a disciple and a Christian and I love the Lord. And I'm confident that whatever He brings me to, He'll help me through. So I'll have to worry about if you like me or not, or if you accept me or not. It's nice, but it's not what I'm about. Right now, that's where I'm at. Right now. But I guarantee you, a couple of days, something will happen. And I'll have to learn this all over again. Just being honest with you folks. We've got to prepare for our problems. Look at what it says here in Proverbs 22. A, pr- a prudent man foresees the difficulties ahead and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So the wise person, the person that works smart, lives smart, he sees the problems that are coming and he gets ready. He knows they're coming and he gets ready. If he sees the clouds beginning to get dark, he knows a storm's coming, so he gets ready. But not a fool. A fool sees it and goes, so what? Doesn't matter. He'll be okay. Doesn't prepare and he suffers for it. Listen, what I get from this verse is you don't ignore your problems. That's the first thing I notice. Don't ignore your problems. And by the way, don't try to solve them all ahead of time because you can't. Because they haven't come yet. But you can prepare. Denise and I decided years ago, after nine years of marriage, we're going to have children. After nine years, we were, our original decision was five. We'll, have a, we'll be married five years and then we'll start having kids. But then we got used to not having kids. Kind of nice. Kind of. Then we decided we better get on with it, so we decided to have some children. So here comes, you know, I found out, you know, married life is a major adjustment, folks. I never, I didn't see it coming. There's the adjustment you make from single to marriage, and that's a big one. I wasn't even close to being ready for that one. I was thinking like a single in a marriage. But then you bring a kid. That's like a match to a can of gasoline. What are you thinking? I don't know. I, I thought I was ready. I'm now nine years older, and I didn't have a clue. Here it comes. So we watched the movie Die Hard that night. Denise goes, 
in the theater, I'm starting to have cramps. Well, how far apart are these cramps? Oh, about three minutes. Dylan! And so Nathan was already disrupting my life. I wanted to watch the movie. Come to the coast, have a few laughs. You know, I wanted to see that. That night, we go into Alt Memorial. She walks and stops. Wait a minute. Into what? Okay. You get to the elevator. She's having these contractions very quickly. We get inside, and Nathan is born. We bring him home the first night. Again, what? He's crying. Yeah, he's got a good set of lungs. No, no, you dope. Get up. You want me to get up? I can't breastfeed. No, he, it's not a, he's just, he just needs to hold him and rock him a little bit. He's not hungry. How do you know this? I just know. Go. Sure, he quiets down. Get him back in bed. Big adjustment. Do I get any sleep? No. Do I get any sleep for, for days? No. Weeks? No. Months? No. You don't get sleep. That's just the way it is. Okay? And then we have another child. Matthew comes along. So now i got two boys. Both names relate to God's gift. Hmm. And they're so different. They're so different. I wasn't prepared for this. I've got one who's afraid to, to ask for ketchup at the counter at McDonald's. I had to threaten to whoop him to get him to say, could I have a packet of ketchup? The other one is dangling from a guardrail at Grand Canyon going, look at me, Dad! Look at me! Both true stories. No exaggeration. I'm going, I have one who thinks with his heart. I'm so glad to watch him lead singing. Here's a kid that couldn't ask for a packet of ketchups leading singing this morning. And he thinks with his heart. And his mind. The other one, everything has to be planned perfectly. The G.I. Joes have to be perfectly laid in order. Is it OCD? It's M-A-T-T is who it is. That's what it is. I got one. The crazies can be happening. The oven's on fire. And he's chewing on licorice going, there's a fire. The other one, if you say, hey, give me that piece of licorice. And passes out. I have one who gets sick if he eats pizza a certain times of the night and projectile vomits across the bathroom. The other one, he could eat cactus and it wouldn't affect him at all. Different? Yeah. I had no idea. We take Matthew to to neurologists, we take Matthew the, the ER a couple of times. We, it's crazy. I don't know what to do. We leave him with babysitters that send him to the hospital. What are you saying? I'm saying that the problem that I how do I I don't get. Oh Denise, before we have this kid, we need to get ready for one that passes out. We had no idea what's going to happen. We got to get ready for the one that projectile vomits. What do you think? A catcher's mitt, or what do you think? We ought to use bucket. I don't know. We we have no idea. Allergies sports, music. They have all these different things. You know what? 
we were prepared. Because before we had children, we prepared our faith. We worked on our faith. And we had this meeting. We said, listen, whatever happens when we have these children, whatever happens, whatever comes our way, we're going to go to the Lord for solutions. You see, the difference between a non-believer and a believer is a non-believer and a believer both have problems, but the believer has solutions. And we're not going to be suspicious of God so much and so confident in others, although we'll listen to others, we really want to listen to the Lord on this one. The Bible says, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. I want you to notice it says there in Proverbs 28-26, it's not saying anyone who walks in wisdom is problem-free. They're safe as they go through their problems. Why? Because faith helps me solve them. Helps me grow from them. Let me ask you, what's your plan? What's your plan all about? Or to plan... For problems, what's your plan? I'm going to get a can of worms. And I'm going to go sit out in the middle of the street. And I'm going to start eating those worms, feeling sorry for myself, making lots of excuses for my problems, and hopes some dump truck will run over me. Is that your plan? Is your plan, I'm going to go down here, I'm going to go across the street, and I'm going to say, set them up, Joe, until I can't feel it anymore? Is that your plan? Is your plan, I'm going to. I'm going to go spend some money. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm not going to let anybody know what I'm doing, what's going on. I want to handle this all by myself. Is that your plan? Let me tell you something right now, folks. You've got a plan. You're working it right now. How's it going? Is it working? Because I can tell you, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines your steps. And I don't know a better solution to anything I face than a relationship with Jesus and go to His Word for help. Just look at the Scriptures. Number seven, I face my fears. I'm going to make some good, solid, smart decisions, work or play. I have to face my fear. I mean, everybody's afraid of something. Maybe some of you aren't. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm afraid of it. My wife scares me. I'll be sitting there in bed Reading something, reading the scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd. Hey Tim, what? And the Bible flies in the air. I'm scared, you cat. I'm scared. I'm scared of my own shadow sometimes. There is a fear factor in life, and it's fear. Here's what I've learned over the years: fear influences my choices. There's a lot of things we decide, you and I decide to do because of fear, not because of faith. Because we're afraid of this, then this is what we'll do. Because I'm afraid I'll do this. And fear fear shows itself in so many ways. I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. I'm afraid I'll fail. I'm afraid I'll look bad. I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I'll be rejected. Look what the Bible says here. It says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. You know, I'm an expert on half that verse. I'll claim it. I'm expert. Fearing people is a danger. That's the part. I'm an expert at that. I've watched fear destroy me, hurt me, harm me, hold me back, stop me. You know, I heard somebody say one time, you don't find a scarecrow in the middle of a parking lot. You find it in the corn where the good stuff is. And I've learned some over the years, if I get scared of something, I must be really close to something really good. 
That's what I've learned over the years. But I'm still at this fearing people. It is a dangerous trap. But look, it says, trusting the Lord brings you safety. So I don't make a decision based on fear. Why not? It paralyzes me. Indecision. Think about this. Is it true? Think about this. The root of indecision is fear. Many times, isn't that what's at the root? Because I'm afraid to make a mistake, because I'm afraid of doing something wrong, I end up doing nothing. And I can tell myself all I want I'm not afraid, or I can ignore my fear all I want, but it's still there waiting for me when I'm ready to make that decision. And the only way to deal with it that I'm learning is to face it. And if I can't face it alone, I get somebody to help me. I get the Lord to help me. I get a strong man to help me. Another strong man. Um, Danny and I were talking about this. Marshawn Lynch was on Bear Grylls' show, Running Wild. Anybody get to see that episode? That was on the 12th. I think it was last Monday, or this past Monday. I think it was on that. He had retired from the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, he's called the Beast. The Beast. Well, he wasn't much of a beast on this show. He was whining the whole time. It shows him he gets his backpack and he's sitting on top of this little lookout station and he's looking at the camera going, I don't know if it's a good idea. You know, I don't know what I'm in for. Maybe I shouldn't have signed up for this. Well, where's Bear at? And all of a sudden, here comes this helicopter. And he's and there's Bear Grills on the edge of it with a belt hooked up. And he goes, take my hand. Take my hand. And he goes, what are you doing, dog? What's wrong with you? You're crazy. He goes, no, no, take my hand. We're going to go. We're going to go. Well, I'm not getting up on a helicopter with you. Come on, just grab my hand. You're safe. It's going to be okay. And he grabs the whole, the beast, 300 pounds. That's this 150 pound man. Take him by the hand. And I, you know what? I couldn't tell where the helicopter ended and Marshawn Lynch began. He was so glued to that helicopter. And Bear Grylls has got his hands in the air holding on to this belt, holding on. Come on, man. Look how beautiful this. I'm not looking. I just get me down, get me down. So they land in this top, this little knob of this mountain, and they get off. And all they're going to do is spend the day together, an overnight stay, and the next day they're going to go home. That's all it's going to be. And he goes, okay, we're in the Corsican Mountains. This is where the French Foreign Legion train all their special ops people. And he goes, and let me tell you a few things about this place. Lots of wilderness, lots of rocky crags and stuff. And uh, there's wild animals here. And Marshawn goes, oh, what kind of wild animals? Well, there's all kinds, but one of them is uh, wild pig. What you talking about? Wild pig. Like pigs? Yeah. So they walk along, and there's a path. And here's where the pigs have been running. And there's some manure, some scat, whatever you want to call it. He goes, it's, and you know, Bear grills. He's got to go, yep, it's fresh. And he goes, what's that mean? He's around here somewhere. He's looking around. This man has a Super Bowl ring. He's the beast. And he's got the look of, you know, Barbie here. <laughs> he's kind of scared. If you like Barbie, it didn't mean a thing. You know what I'm saying? So, 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 so he goes, come on, we gotta, we gotta go. So he takes a, a piece of twine. He, he makes a spear for Marshawn Lynch out of a stick and this, this hunting knife. Here you go, Marshawn. What's this for? We're gonna have to hunt. We gotta hunt a pig. We're gonna eat some pig tonight. Why you didn't bring any food? No, I forgot. I didn't bring any food. We're gonna live off the land, remember? What? You're crazy. 
He goes, no, I'm not. Come on, let's go. And all of a sudden, Bear Grylls just takes off. And Marshawn Lynch, running back for the Seattle Seahawks, cannot keep up with this guy in the wilderness. He cannot keep up with him. Bear's hopping through the rocks and bouncing off of stuff. And Marshawn Lynch is barely trying to get through stuff. They finally go, stop, hold it. There he is. Where? Wild pig. And you look in the, in the picture, all you see is a little hind end, one cheek of the hind end of the pig with the bushes all around it. Goes, oh, really? Then it comes out. It's about 150, 180 pounds. He goes, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And he's cussing up. Boop, 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 and boop, 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 boop. It's like, the bear goes, calm down, you're going to scare him. I want to scare him. And he goes, no, we're going to, come on, let's go. And he takes off, they talk, chase him. Hear the pig run. The pig runs off a cliff. They don't know this. And Marshawn Lynch and Bear Girls are looking for the pig. And Marshawn goes, look, blood. And he sees the trail. There's the pig. And it's laying on a ledge. Blood all around it. It had run off the cliff. It lost its balance and died. Bear goes, let's go get it. What? We're going to go get it. Why? We're going to eat some of it. That pig? That pig. Okay, well, you give me the rope and I'll lower you down. Oh, no, no, you're going down. No, dog, I'm not going nowhere. Yes, you are. You're going down there. He goes, I weigh 300. He kept saying that. I weigh 300 pounds. I weigh 300 pounds. He goes, this rope, which is big as my pinky, it'll hold 3,000 pounds. And this rock here that's been here for 5 million years, it'll hold you just fine. And somehow he persuades Marshawn Lynch He's going down with this rope but for over 100 feet to get to this stupid pig. He finally gets there. And you know, nothing against you people grew up in town. I grew up on a pig farm. Pigs don't scare me. My cousins grew up in town. Pigs scared them to death. I'm sure, I'm going to be fair to you, you could take me to some places. We heard some gunfire. I go, what's that? Don't worry, Tim, country folk. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a gunfire. It happens all the time. I know there's, you know what I'm saying? I understand that. But this is, Marshawn Lynch has never been, he's, been, he's lived in the inner city. And he's afraid of this dead pig. And he's trying to get the rope around it and Bear's trying to help him. Okay, cinch it up. How are we going to get the pig up, Bear? I'm going to pull you and the pig up. I weigh, I know, 300 pounds. And the pig probably weighs about 180. And I'm going to pull you both up. And he looks at the camera and goes, what we're going to do is we're going to make this cinch and I can pull three, ten times my weight. And he's pulling. And Marshawn Lynch He's having trouble finding. What if I lose my grip? And he loses his grip and he's, he's freaking out. The pig's right behind him. So he has this bloody pig behind him. And a 150 pound man pulling on him. And he finally gets to the top. You gotta watch it. He lay, he's laying there. And he's out of breath. And you can see it in his eyes. He is not happy. And he sets up the, we need to get something straight here. I'm about to lay my hands on you. Well, that's funny. No, no, no. You don't understand. There'll be no more of this cliff stuff. No more of this climbing stuff. Whatever plans you got, you put it on your head. Because I'm going to lay my hands on you and I'm going to hurt you. Isn't that what fear will do sometimes? Make you fight. He's ready to fight him. And he's dead serious. He's got that, I could hurt you. Bear, Bear uh, Grills, he uh, looks at he looks at the camera real quick, and, and after Marshawn's sitting there, almost crying, and he says, "Most people will not step out of their comfort zone, but that's how we grow. 
That's how we grow. I found this quote online. I made this. Look at this. Look what Bear Grylls says. You're not human if you don't feel fear. But I've learned to treat fear as an emotion that sharpens me. It's there to give me that edge for what I have to do. What's he saying? You've got to face the fear. It's going to be there. It's an emotion. That means it comes and it will go. Does happiness come and go? Does sadness come and go? Shouldn't fear come and go? Yeah. And when I face that fear, and I say this, I'm telling you, I'm talking to me this morning. Tim, when you face that fear, if you'll just face that fear, you can use that to give you an edge. David said this, I went to the Lord for help and He listened to me. He saved me from all that I fear. Uh, Norman Lynch is a cartoonist, a Christian cartoonist. Now, I've been in the kids' ministry for 20-some years. I used him a lot with the kids. And, and he did Psalms 23 with cartoon pictures. And this picture he has where David says in Psalms 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Is a view of him looking up as if you're looking up at him. He's not looking at you though, because around him is a shadow of Goliath. And he's got his little sling. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. I was talking to my brother this week. And my brother was telling me, we were talking about a lot of things that was happening. And I could tell he was worked up. A lot of stuff going on for him. And he said, you know, Tim, what I've been doing all day today? What's that? I've been singing a song. The Lord is with you each and every day. He'll never forsake you. Don't be afraid. The Lord goes before you in your trouble and strife. And He will protect you all the days of your life. He'll never forsake you. Don't be afraid. He's afraid of what's happening to Stephanie. He's afraid what's life going to be like without her. He's afraid of what's going to happen to his children. What's happening to his son, his sons, his daughter. He's afraid of the changes that are coming. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. He's singing it all day. The Lord goes with you each and every day. What are you afraid of? You'll never forsake me. What are you afraid of? Don't be afraid. You do that when you face fear. You face your fear with the Lord. You say, Lord, help me with this. There have been some times in my life where I was so terrified my wife had to be beside me to get through it. Alan had to be beside me to get through it. Nathan's had to be beside me at times to help me get through it. I had a nightmare that something happened to one of my grandbabies. I'm not talking about the kind of nightmares that make me cry out at night and 
Well, that, that's when I'm tired. This was just real. These problems can come, and they can come in any form. And will I, what will I do when they come? I'll plan for them. I'll face. I'll face my fear. I've got to face my fear. You would tell me, Tim, you've got to face that fear. You can't let that shut you down. You can't let that paralyze you. You've got too much to do. Huh? Don't you have so much to do for God that you can't let fear paralyze you and hold you back? Hold this church back? Hold your family back? Whatever you're fearing this morning, whatever that fear is, it has nothing to do, it don't have to have anything to do with labor. It's just something that's dealing with life. Can I tell you, to face that, you and me, we'll fa- let's face it. Because I think if we'll face it, it won't be as, so, it won't be as fearful as it once was. Kind of like Kevin in Home Alone when the furnace said, Kevin! He goes, shut up. Boom. It's just a furnace. Number eight. If I want to work smart, if I want to work smart, I step out on faith. There comes a time when I've got to pull the trigger. There comes a time when I've got to start trusting God and move. And take a step. It says in Proverbs, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. I circled trust and take in this verse for two reasons. Or for one reason. That the two go together. When I trust the Lord, I'm able to take the step I need to take. See, Moses had led the people of of Israel out of Egypt. And when they got out of Egypt, Pharaoh changed his mind, assembled 600 chariots. They they chased to catch up. They, They catch up with Moses at the edge of the Red Sea. They've got him pinned in to the edge of the Red Sea. I've got him where I want him now. And the people begin to complain. Did you bring us out here to die, Moses? What is this? Were the cemeteries all full, so full that there was no place to bury us so you brought us out here to be killed? This is crazy. This is ridiculous. And Moses tries to reassure him. Listen, guys, hold on. Wait a minute. God's going to deliver us. God's going to work. And I can imagine Moses kind of doing this. Right? Because this is God's reaction to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, why do you keep calling out me for help. Tell the Israelites to move forward. Why do you keep praying? Sometimes we don't. We need to stop praying and start doing. See, faith is more than believing. It's trusting and taking an active step. It's a verb. Now folks, you can either build your life on the promises of God or on your personal fears. You decide. Which will it be? 
which will it be? See, it took a step of faith for many of us here. You've taken that step out of sin, out of the bondage of sin. Praise God. Amen? Praise God. You're free from sin. But that's not the only step to take. There had to be another step taken to get into the promised land. So I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe maybe some of you here, you go, you know, Tim, I need to take a step out of some things. Like what? My selfishness. My complacency. I need to take a step out of, out of those kind of things and I need to step into another responsibility. Step into a small group and grow. Step into a ministry in my church. Thank God Abraham stepped up onto a mountain and was blessed. His faith grew. Thank God Gideon stepped out of a hole and delivered a nation. Praise God that Daniel would step into a lion's den and a king would become a believer. And I want to reassure you and I want to encourage you to take a step. I want to reassure you first of all is the steps you take today are very important. They're going to change the world. They'll change your life, but they can change the world. So it's important you take that step. Here's what David said. I have thoroughly tested your promises and that is why I love them so much. What do you mean you thoroughly tested them, Tim? Or David, what do you mean? Well, Tim... What I mean is I tested them and they worked. And you test them by leaning on them, by putting your weight on them and not on yourself. You know, that's what my son, remember what my son said? Trust in the Lord and not your own understanding? That's what I'm doing. I'm trusting the promises of God. And I test them when I trust them. I test them when I take that step. You see, until you are willing to take a step in faith, you're stuck. You'll always be stuck. Until you take that step, maybe it's the first step, maybe it's another one. You're stuck unless you start, start moving forward. I wonder sometimes God wants to say to Greater Alton, tell him to quit asking me to help. Tell him to quit filling out prayer request and start doing it. Take the step. I don't know what your step is this morning, but I hope you'll take it. Maybe it's to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe it's a step out of your addiction. I'm taking a stand and I'm taking a step out of this lifestyle and you're taking a step towards Jesus. I pray you'll do that. For some of us here, it may be stepping into a new ministry or new responsibilities. I'm just asking you this morning to make a commitment, to make a bold commitment and take a step in the right direction, a step that follows Jesus. Now that's it. The cards are in your bulletin. You can fill them out if you like. We're going to pray uh, right now and then we're going to have the worship team lead us in a song while you fill out those cards. And may God bless you May God bless you to take your faith to work. If it's this afternoon, take it to work with you. If it's tomorrow morning, show up Monday morning ready to glorify God.
Pray to give Him honor and praise through what You do. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much again for this series, Lord. Um, there's more to it than our workplace, Father. It's our workspace. Whatever we're, wherever we are right now, whatever we're doing, we pray we'll bring our faith, Your wisdom, into what we do. Well, I know it's hard sometimes to figure out what to do. I know it is. Sometimes a Scripture, one particular Scripture may not do it. I have to look even more. Sometimes it's calling out to You, Father, and just praying and asking for wisdom which You will not deny the one who makes that request. And Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray, Father, that we'll see, let the Scriptures interpret themselves. Look at the Scriptures close. Let them teach us, Father. Father, I know some of us here have a, a choice. We're making choices with relationships, with our employment, with our health, financial choices, spiritual choices. Father, I pray, we pray together, give us great wisdom as we figure out what to do. We want to please You. Help us find Your will in all this. Help us face the fear, Father. Help us face that fear that holds us back from being where the good stuff is. Help us identify that scarecrow and confront that thing and find out it's just full of stuffing. Thank You, Father, for everyone here. That luau last night was so cool. Look at all those couples. I told Gary, look at all that. So good to be together. Oh, that's good. We pray that this week we'll just remember as much as we can to think of You every day. Just to think about You every day and let that guide us. For those of us that are sick, Father, that are hurting, we pray for healing, Father. But we pray most of all Your will be done. That's what we pray, Father. That's what we ask in Christ's name. Amen.